0: unnumbered section following chapter seven of *Silly and its legends by henry james whitfeld this librivox recording is in the public domain a legend of holy vale it was tuesday in easter week the feast had fallen late at the season of which i write so that the beautiful valley was full of blossoms and of green leaves putting forth their gems timidly as if aware of their boldness in thus venturing out so early in the world a spell of loveliness seemed to float over the little enchanted hollow birds sang sweetly in the fresh and fragrant shade leaves and buds gleamed and danced in the sunlight and all uniting together in one offering of material glory and of spiritual and ineffable thankfulness ascended to god's throne above the orisons of nature and of man never peradventure arose on high with less of the serpent to clog their wings it was indeed a bright day and man strove to make it brighter still after the season of that dread passion succeeding the painful vigils of lent it was the custom of the day to indulge the people with many sports and pastimes some of them strangely inconsistent with our ideas of ancient medieval discipline the abbot of misrule was there and the dragon and the monastic orders parodied and travestied and the great tempter himself and pretty-winged children representing not unfitly angels as they may be seen even now on the continent in the procession of the fete Dio. with a keen knowledge of human nature and somewhat too of confidence in their own strength the religious fraternities and both the secular and regular priests allowed and even encouraged some apparently irreverent excesses these were licensed to an unwonted extent that day at holyvale the mummers and geysers were more numerous than usual Footnote, geysers still existing in scilly and called goose-dancers and seemed to have full permission to jest until an impious step even intruded itself upon holy ground the lady abbess was a dame of high birth and of unquestioned sanctity yet the dragon of Wantley profanely ventured to compare her to the maid Marian, who figured among the maskers, and whose condition to tell the truth sadly belied her assumed character of single blessedness, the pious superior being afflicted with an infirmity that showed itself in an ungraceful rotundity of figure hardly differing to worldly eyes from that of the buxom matron herself. It was not altogether the brightness of the day, nor the celebration of easter sports which created this more than usual animation and bustle a ceremony was being performed in the little chapel of the convent which is always one of solemnity and of importance in the catholic world and this too as an event of the kind was of no common order the profession of a sister is ever an occasion of interest for the community in which it occurs but the young being now dedicated to god was in herself an object of attention from the peculiar circumstances in which she had hitherto been placed she was so it was given out an orphan brought up in strict seclusion under the care of an aged maiden lady in the castle of the earl of cornwall at old town no one knew aught of her parentage nor of her name she was simply called the damsel maud and treated with such respect as at that time was accorded only to one of the highest rank to the mystery of her birth was added another and a more potent charm she was exceedingly fair fair beyond all rivalry rich in intellectual gifts peerless in her lofty beauty the wise monk who was her preceptor could teach her nothing more for she had surpassed the limits of his old world law the brother limna at the great abbey of tresco confessed himself vanquished by her exquisite creations the illuminated bible done by her was worth a king's ransom the broideress at st mary's nunnery looked with reverence at the work of the lady maud's hands and with all this superiority of gifts natural and acquired she had the simplicity and the purity of a child one clue only to the secret of her position was found even by the most curious inquirers this was in her face gentle and loving as she was she had about her that which brooked no familiarity and no intrusion there were in her lineaments a likeness felt but of which men never spoke there was a sparkle of plantagenet in her proud thoughtful eye such and in so secluded a fashion dwelt the damsel maud in the gloomy castle a fresh and radiant spirit budding into womanhood and waiting apparently with a heart untouched for the hour which should unite her fate to that of another her days were peaceful and monotonous with little to enliven or vary them they were precisely the mode of existence calculated to throw a tender and confiding bosom off its guard full of impulse and of affection it encountered no danger to startle it and to teach it by that instinctive warning sent by providence to a woman's heart to examine its own feelings and to analyse emotions which are never so perilous or deceitful as when there is no suspicion of their approach few visitors sought the castle and of them fewer still were young pilgrims there were and priests who brought tidings of the world and talked in a simple and antique manner with the dame de Barrington. but they took little heed of the lady board as she bent over her embroidery frame or illumined in gold and colours some quaint legend or heraldic device and she was left to her own maiden meditations with none to direct or share them there was indeed in the fortress one beside herself whom his age and position to a certain extent drew closer to her than to its other inmates jocelyn de saint martin was the son of an old knight who had been a former senator there and was now page of honour to the chatillon with a hope of admittance into the earl's household as an esquire He was of the same age as the damsel, and they had been associates from their childhood. Of the danger of that seclusion, that unconscious sacrament of love between young, undoubting hearts, not a word had been whispered on either side, not a pledge given, not a syllable of troth plighted, or received, and yet, though the world dreamed not of it, the secret was no longer theirs to breathe. The youth loved that mysterious maiden, and the maiden smiled to know that she was loved." the dream was a bright one as bright alas as brief some passage between the two some touch or look some of those eloquent nothings which are the language and the soul of passion betrayed their unspoken secret to the dame de barrington she knew her duty and acted on it instantly the page was despatched ostensibly with a missive for the earl then residing at his castle of launceston but in reality to be the bearer of the news of this perplexing occurrence the result of this intelligence may be conveyed in a few words jocelyn de st martin was attached to his lord's person as a squire and ordered to remain and to begin his duties at once the fate of the beautiful orphan was to our eyes far more sad it did not suit the Earl's purpose that she whom he called his ward should be mated with one of birth inferior to her own in those days there was but one alternative the damsel was to be the daughter of heaven with a rich dower, as became her guardian's rank, she was at once to begin her novitiate, and to vow herself, and all her matchless charms, and her young gifted mind, at God's altar as his virgin bride. It was no wonder, then, that all was joy and festivity at Holyvale. The earl had intimated his desire that there should be no delay. A commission, annulling the usual period of probation, had been forwarded by John Grandison, Bishop of Exeter, to Robert Danaus, the lord prior of scilly on receiving it notice was sent to the dame de barrenton who ordered her train to horse and conveyed her unsuspecting charge to holy vale she was there placed in the hands of the lady abbess who was henceforth responsible for her the fair girl was conducted to a cell where she was visited by the superior who confirmed in language decided indeed though not unkind, the suspicions excited by the sudden journey in the maiden's breast the effect of such revelation may be imagined but cannot be described it was less despair than an absence of life and its functions it was an earthquake crushing at once sense and vitality it was the mind's death while amid that dreadful paralysis the body still lived on but if the likeness of plantagenet was seen upon the brow of the unhappy girl the spirit of that haughty race was in her heart she was one to die and make no sign if her bosom became ice and her being stagnated on hearing her doom she never for a moment stooped to remonstrate or to complain she signified her willingness to proceed to the chapel without delay no victim ever went to the scene of her sacrifice with a prouder step or with a face more marble or more serene not a shadow crossed it during the whole of that impressive solemnity she laid aside her bridal trappings with an air of indifference. She unloosed, and even with her own hands gathered together, the silken volumes of her dark hair, as the abbess severed it, lock by lock, from her head. When the rites were concluded, she came forward and received the kisses of the abbess and of the nuns, with a cheek calm but so chill that it seemed to freeze the lips that touched it. As soon as all was done, she retired to her cell, which was in future to be her living tomb as haughtily as before her favorite tire woman had as an act of grace been left for a season with her and she came to her and as soon as they were alone fell at the feet of her lady now only sister mary with an irrepressible and natural burst of indignation and of compassion but the high-born damsel raised her in silence and kissed her brow there was in her eye a glassy stare and a vacant agony A kind of unconscious convulsion in her smile that spoke of something fearful within, but whatever she felt, she gave it no utterance. The very evil spirit that would have maddened another seemed to obey her, the poor damsel who loved her mistress tenderly, with the love of a common mind, looked at her with astonishment and could hardly believe what she saw. The sister took no heed of her wonder, but gently dismissed her, and remained in her cell alone." Whatever the secrets of that prison-house, they were sacred and hidden from every eye but that of God. Nothing was seen of Sister Mary until Vespers, when she appeared in the chapel and petitioned, after the conclusion of the service, that she might be allowed to remain in prayer before the high altar through the night. The request was at once granted. It was no unusual thing, indeed. And in the case of one thus suddenly, for some mysterious reason, cut off from the world, it seemed natural to come unto the shrine of the Virgin— and there to pray for support and comfort there could be no refuge for a bleeding heart like the love and pity of her whose bosom had been pierced by pangs so great so the sister's prayer was accorded cheerfully and she was left at the altar to commence her painful vigil in communion only with the dead that slept below and with the mother of god who looked down upon her with a smile of pity from her niche above then appeared to come upon her spirit that shadow which the cross flings upon the bosoms of those vowed to the cloistered solitude of a religious life. The girl had departed from the walls, but the nun remained. She seldom spoke and never complained. Her tire-woman visited her often, and was permitted to remain with her for hours in her cell, for the strict rules of the order were tacitly remitted in her favour. She could not be called haughty, nor was she reserved, but there was no fellowship between the other sisters and herself, and it may be unconsciously she occupied a place both in feeling and intellect which they could not reach she never mingled with them instead of the usual equality of the conventual life when by chance they met her moving about looking so proud yet so woebegone withal they made her a hurried reverence and passed on her only occupation seemed to be the care of a rose bush said to have some miraculous properties and consecrated to the virgin it was from this bush that the place was called Holy Vale one of its flowers was deemed to have the power if worn to preserve its bearer from mortal sin and one of its crimson buds was always borne upon her bosom for the bush had the gift of perpetual spring and blossomed through the entire year so passed away the months of her novitiate winter such as winter is in this land of the aloe the myrtle and the geranium was melting before the smile of spring the day was approaching when the irrevocable black veil was to be assumed the demeanour of the novice was unchanged it was as cold as formal and as still as ever her faithful tire-woman spent with her the eve of the fatal day and when sister mary had dismissed her from the cloister gate after vespers she asked permission to spend in the chapel the solemn night that was to usher in for her as solemn a dawn the abbess gave the desired leave with her blessing on the head of the fair nun, so soon to be affianced to heaven by the last awful tie. She went alone through the holy place to the high altar, and there was seen, by those who casually observed her, like a prostrate statue, absorbed in an agony of prayer. There they parted from her, but on the morrow they sought her there in vain. She left no relic of her presence, they found no traces of her flight, one thing only showed that she had been lately near by the rose-bush of the virgin was found a bough broken off and thrown down upon the ground one opening bud alone being taken from its stem save this slight indication of her taste and of the tenderness of a crushed heart for even an inanimate thing her fate and her history were a void the wrath of the stern earl was terrible but it was as vain as the quiet lamentations of the sisterhood she whom they deemed a perjured nun was gone and apparently gone for ever the solemn beauty of her pale countenance was missed for a time but as no tidings of the fugitive were received the impression caused by her loss waxed fainter and yet more faint the name of the fugitive was scarcely ever mentioned her empty place was filled up by another her memory was as it were a tale that is told years glided along and passed lightly as time ever passes over the community of holyvale yet still even in a religious society the hand of the great leveller comes down gathering one by one the human blossoms on the tree of life the sisters were called from their simple duties and left the grey walls for a home more lasting but scarcely more silent or more sad the stately abbess laid down her life and her authority together and bequeathed her mild sceptre to her successor those who had known sister mary and had pondered tearfully over her disappearance at the moment when they deemed her about to win an immortal crown were removed from the scene two or three only at an advanced age still lingered on they spoke sometimes of the mystery of sister mary's flight but all hope of clearing it up was gone the register of the angel on high could alone solve the terrible problem to earth and to mortal eyes it was apparently a sealed volume to be opened only by a mightier hand than that of man so however it was not fated to be the eve of easter tuesday had again come round and had fallen late in the year on exactly the same day as that on which sister mary had been lost to god and to them as it seemed for ever the eve of the same tuesday had once more brought its duties and its religious observances for a solemn mass was performed for her who had unaccountably vanished and heaven was entreated for her it was observed that the rose-bush put forth its earliest and choicest blossoms in loving profusion a spirit of peace and a sacred blessing appeared to be floating over the hallowed spot during vespers a sweet voice seemed to mingle with the choir as though an angel sang next morning the great doors of the chapel were thrown open as was usual on occasions of state for matins the abbess entered at the head of her train but the building was not untenanted it was already occupied by one upon whom was impressed the grandeur and the sanctity conferred by an immortal power from its contact with that which is mortal death that consecrates by its touch and hallows even while it slays had been busy there a form lay upon the highest step before the great altar its hands clasped upon its bosom in the attitude of prayer and so marble-like and motionless that it might have been deemed an effigy on a tomb there was no mistaking its dread repose nor its rigid limbs nor the stony expression of its upturned face death was frozen in its lineaments of rare beauty but the expression was as calm and childlike as though they were but composed in sleep and a sweet smile played about the lips fixed there perhaps by the guardian angel that bore away the departing spirit from a frame so fair the form was one of early womanhood and was clothed in the dress of a novice of the house upon the cold bosom and on the heart that throbbed no more with life was placed a rosebud apparently long gathered but yet as fresh as though newly plucked from its stem the sisters crowded round the figure sleeping in its awful loveliness the two aged nuns recognized it at once it was their lost sister mary They buried her where she lay, it was vain to ask by what miracle she had been preserved and given back, in her pure and perfect innocence, for by her outward beauty they might be assured of that within. Perhaps the rosebud had guarded her from temptation, and had imparted to her strength to resist it, so they committed her to the dust, with her body sinless and undefiled and raised above her a marble monument, and the fame of Holy Vale and of its sacred flower flourished in the land save those survivors of her sisterhood there remained indeed none to inquire into her fate men spoke of a secret passage leading from the chapel to st mary's at old town by which she had escaped and joined her faithful tire-woman but these surmises led to no result the stern earl was dead jocelyn de st martin had died too in harness warring against the infidels when she thus came back raised as it were from the grave only to be restored to it for ever She had as little affinity to the old and feeble nuns as she had felt when, more than a generation before, she had walked in haughty solitude beneath that roof. Her presence there troubled them, with its unearthly brightness and its strange gift of youth, and the contrast of its angelic freshness with their wrinkled and forbidding brows.
1: So they buried her where
0: she lay, in the odour of her sanctity and in her undying beauty, at the reformation the black marble slab placed above her rest was destroyed but according to tradition it bore these words alone sagit marie priez per elle footnote amid the general dearth of local tradition and of relics of all sorts holyvale has a rather distinguished place it can show not only an ancient well from whose properties it perhaps derives its name and a range of orchards and gardens which May have belonged to a religious establishment, for they have a decidedly conventual appearance, but also a portion of some fabric which is of incontestable antiquity. This is the top of a freestone arch, once forming part of a doorway or of a window, but now covering the entrance of a pigsty. It may be seen behind the first house, on the left-hand side of the road, as it approaches the little hamlet from Hewtown there are likewise many other wells in places where now no houses exist but where there must formerly from the very presence of such things have been both dwellings and inhabitants a resident at holyvale has in his possession a curious and interesting relic of the past it is an old chair bought at a sale of the furniture of stark castle and said to have been equally honoured with that celebrated by sir walter scott in old mortality and so much prized by lady margaret Bellenden, in the tower of tillitedlam for his most gracious majesty charles the second once sat in it end of unnumbered section following chapter seven recording by timothy ferguson gold coast australia